Binge Boys, coming at ya. You are listening to the podcast where Alon and Hal talk about streaming shows and whatever else. Sitting across from me is Lon Harris. Lon, what's going on? A little bit of uh, radio announcer energy today. Pow! Coming at you, Binge Boys. Oh, yeah. Top of the hour, you got Binge Boys coming at you. But first, this is Cheap Trick. Oh, yeah. There's a morning zoo host uh, living inside of me somewhere. It's uh, 67 degrees in the Southland this afternoon. Skies are clear. So maybe some light clouds by 6.30 p.m. If you're out in the city center tonight, bring a jacket and get ready for some live tunes. <laughs> you're hanging on the binge. What a 3.4. Yum, 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 binge. My friend uh, Dave Ross. You know Dave Ross? Yes, comedian. Stand-up comedian. Yeah. He used to be in Fresno. He was like the afternoon drive guy in Fresno for like several years. And he can put on that voice. And it's amazing because it sounds nothing like his real voice. Like he's got regular, hey, I'm Dave. I'm talking to you like a regular guy. And then he's got like Dave on the radio, like perfect radio voice. It's amazing. Yeah, that's, that sounds like some uh, just classic code switching. You know, it's, it's the it's the white guy version of code switching. Exactly. Yeah. Like the, the way uh, he talks to uh, those commuters uh, during uh, r- the rush hour afternoon drive. Yeah. It's different from the way he's going to talk to Lon one on one. It's like if you met Tom Likas in person, nothing like it would sound anything like the professor from Likas 101. Likas always used to ask, uh, like people would say, hey, Tom, how you doing? He'd be like, do you care? Right. That was his thing. And yeah. If you asked him how you were doing, like, do you care? Like, accusingly, like, you don't. Like, you're all the time asking people how they are, and you don't actually give a shit. Because you are actually a selfish fuck. Right. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about Tom. There's just a callback, because yes. I know we've ranted about Tom. Oh, like. and, uh, you know, cut to my uh, daily up, my weekly update as to what our Patreon might be about. It's just uh, like us talking, like it's us reminiscing. Like, we'll, bring, we'll bring back like us 101, I think. There you go. <laughs> Oh, boy. That's what, yeah, sure, what the world needs now. Juan, is there anything going on in the news? There is. There's always the ticker, the fake ticker never stops. So the first thing we're going to talk about, this was just announced this morning. Oh, my God. Amazon has renewed the animated superhero. I was going to call it a comedy, but I guess comedy drama, I think would be fair. Invincible. So that's going to come back for not one, but two more seasons it's been renewed for. Seasons two and three. Yeah, I absolutely would not call it a comedy. I mean, it's funny. It's definitely like there's a side of it that is a parody of superhero worlds and universes. It's got a little bit of bite. It's got a little bit of snark. But and it's and it is kind of sending up the genre or exploring it from different angles. I agree that it's not a pure comedy. I mean, that's why I paused and said it's more of a dramedy, but I don't think it's totally removed from humor. There is humor. There's humor. There's there's bits. Humor is present. You got Seth Rogen as the the alien guy. You got the clones who can't decide which one is the real clone. You got a Hellboy parody guy voiced by Clancy Brown. True, true. 
Uh, I, I just think of it as uh, more of a superhero genre actioner with uh, moments. Well, you refer to it as my stories, I understand. Like, it's time, it's just time to watch my stories. Or programs. <laughs> programs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> old people say programs, but I feel like it's old Jews who put the accent on the second programs. syllable. Uh, what about Pro- robots? Robots. Robots, yeah. That's I don't feel our today's old people. I feel like are already used to the word robot and say it correctly. Okay. I feel like it was when we were young, the old people predated robot everything, and they were the ones who would say robot. Lon, for Final Jeopardy, this is what old people call helicopters. What are helicopters? No. The correct question is, what are whirly birds? They don't. I've never heard a person say whirly yes, birds. they do. That's what, that's what oldsters call helicopters. Whirly birds? Whirly, no. whirly birds. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I just disagree with your assessment of old people. Oh, boy. Binge Boys listeners, sound off in the chat. Sound Let off us in know. the chat. Have you ever heard anyone refer to a helicopter as a whirly bird? Yes. Yeah, oldsters. Frankly, it sounds made up. The elderly. I've heard of the hurly bird from Lost, but not a whirly bird. No, the the well, the hurly bird gets the worm. And you know the, what? You know what whirly bird sounds like is what they call helicopters in like a dystopian YA novel, like one of those fantasy books where they make up fake words for all the real things to make you feel immersed in an alternate reality. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be like the whirly bird arrived at the Capitol Dome complex by. 682. We avoided the whirly birds, but then we started getting chased by tracker jackers. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. Let's move on. Yes. Oh, wait, oh, oh I, I, I didn't finish. I didn't finish with Invincible. Uh, oh, so yeah. the, it's the it's the finale of season one, like tonight, tomorrow goes up. Mm-hmm. And then two more seasons we'll, we'll, we'll get after that. I guess I did. I guess that was all I wanted to add. Warner Media, owners of HBO Max, they're going to add an ad-supported tier to the service in June. So right now, $15 a month, no ads anywhere on HBO Max. Starting in June, you'll be able to pay just $10 a month and you'll get some ads. But here's the thing. It's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. HBO shows like Mayor of Easttown, something that was made specifically for HBO. Which I am loving, by the way. How's loving it, folks? He's all in on Easttown. I'm in. I'm in. I've moved to Easttown. That's interesting. We've done two weeks where there's two city or town themed shows in a row. I feel like you're more, way more into last week's small town. I'm way more into this week's small town sneak preview to be discussed later in the program. Yes. Yes, indeed. This is true. This is true. Uh, but anyway, so here's what I'm saying. So those kinds of shows, because, you know, Mayor of East Town or a Watchmen or even like a Sex in the City. A Game of Thrones. A Game of Thrones. No ad breaks. They're made for HBO. They don't have spots where you'd put in ads. They don't have natural ad breaks. So they're not going to add them. They're not going to like, even if you get the ad-supported HBO Max, they won't interrupt Game of Thrones halfway through with ads. It'll only be for HBO Max shows that already have ad breaks. So if you're watching Friends on HBO Max, you will see ads. But if you're watching, you know, a Sopranos episode, you will not see ads. Except at the top and the bottom. I, I don't want I don't want ads chopping up my my Tony, my big pussy, my uh Michael uh what's his name? Imperioli. I don't want ads chopping <laughs> up my Khaleesi. Out. I, I don't want ads chopping up my Hodor. Christopher Moltisanti is is Michael Imperioli's character. Yes. 
And, you were saying uh, characters, and then you switched to the real actor's name. That's why I got confused. I could jump in with Christopher Moltisanti. I was like, who's Michael on The Sopranos? There's no Michael. Listen, I am I am quixotic. I'm unpredictable. But, you know, chalk this up is, uh, you know, another and a long string of great moments in capitalism. Uh, if HBO figuring out a way to get a little bit more money out of its uh, subscriber base, there you go. Yeah, I think, I think they're recognizing $15 a month. I mean, that's what HBO costs if you have a cable package and you want to add HBO. But I think as streaming services go, that's pricey. That's up there. That's more than almost any of their competitors. So I think they want, you know, they see how well stuff like Peacock is doing. Even how well stuff like Tubi or those smaller services that are free are doing. And I think they're like, oh, we want to get in on some of that. We need a lower cost option. I did think it was funny because all this was announced at AT AT&T's, you know, earnings call. Like that's what's going on right now is all the Q1 earnings calls. Sure. Uh, And John Stanky, the head of AT&T. Wait, what's his last name again? Stanky. S-T-A-N-K-E-Y. Not to be confused with uh, little rascal Spanky. No. John Stanky. Yeah, he, he's the he's the CEO of ATT. You know, I had a girlfriend who uh, told me uh, once that uh, I was a little stanky. Your John was a little stanky? That's never good. You got never that want right. to hear that. <laughs> stanky John, great podcast, folks. Check it out. Anyway. <laughs> yes. When he was talking about this, he had this whole line about, like, you know, it may look like this is something's not working and we got to change our approach, but this was always the plan, which makes me think something's not working and they need to change our mind. It was just a little too defensive about it. Mm. And it's like, okay, so that maybe it's been a little slow. Sign-ups are a little sluggish, and they're like, we need to goose this. We need a lower-cost option. Whatever happened, soon you will be able to get HBO Max a bit cheaper if you've been holding out, folks. Gotcha. But you don't have to worry about that because you BitTorrent all your shows, right? I pirate everything. I have no cable package or streaming services. I'm stealing this internet right now. I'm not in, None of this is legal. Yep. Uh this is a pirate podcast, folks. I don't know if you knew that. We're like we're like Christian Slater and pump up the volume. Oh yeah, uh, hardcore Harry, pirate radio. Yeah, hard Harry. I, think I don't know what you're talking nickname. about. It, that 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 was Christian Slater's uh, <laughs> DJ nickname. In, in oh yes, you're right. Hard you're Harry. Right. Uh, hard Harry. You're right. Yes, I was like, well, I don't. Is that a guy? I don't know. Like Wolfman Jack or something. I I wish I could do a Wolfman Jack. You could do a Wolfman Jack. It seems like I should be able to. Yeah, baby, this is Wolfman Jack. Got the tunes coming at you. Does it come out right when I try to do the Wolfman Jack voice? I don't know. Like Dr. John Wolfman Jack, that guy voice uh, eludes me. Lon, smoke a pack a day for two years and get back to us. Yeah, that's what it is. That's Mm -hmm. what it is. uh, My lungs are Were you ever a cigarette smoker, Lon? Never. I mean, I've, I have smoked cigarettes in my life. Naughty boy. But never, never regularly, like, I've never bought a pack of cigarettes for myself. Gotcha. I was, I was a smoker for 20 years. Wow. There was one time, I never liked, it's just, it's not that, like, you know, I like a lot of other stuff that's terrible for me, obviously. Sure. It's not like, it's not like I'm a good boy or I'm health conscious. It's purely, I just don't like nicotine. I don't like how it feels to, to be on. No, I don't blame you. That's... Good, good uh, and I think what, when I was a, when I was in college, I had a friend who went to Stanford and I went to go visit him one weekend yes. and he got cigar. Like it was me and a few other dudes hanging out up there and yep. they, we got cigars and it was the first time I'd ever had one. And I like, obviously I inhaled too much and I got really sick. And I honestly think for the rest of my life that cured me on ever wanting to smoke tobacco. I felt so gross. It was so awful. I was just like, you know what? 
marijuana, perfect. I'm just going to stick to cannabis and that'll yep. be what I smoke. Yeah, that I'll I'll uh that that's my friend nowadays, but uh yeah, the cigarettes, I'm glad to be rid of those things. Yeah, so I can't do I can't do a good Wolfman Jack because my lungs are too pink and pink and healthy. Oh, just cherubic lungs. Just fresh as the day is long. Uh so let's let's move on, Hal. We got a lot to get through today. Okay. John Mayer. Oh, I got yeah. a story um, about him. Maybe if we have some time later. John, I saw John Mayer tour with uh, Dead and Friends. Uh, oh yes, yes. I I've seen the I saw the Dead as they go by, but it yeah. was the tour before that when Joan Osborne was the was the guest. Singer. Oh, cool. Yeah, I remember Joan Osborne. Yeah, I, my yeah, brother. What if God? What if God was? What one if God of was us? one of us? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a couple of brothers who are my uh, my one brother bonafide deadhead like he's an older brother he he, mm-hmm. he toured with them he's been to over 200 grateful dead shows wow my father was a huge deadhead wow. followed them around toured before like all, like for two years or whatever uh saw a ton of dead shows i don't know if it's in the hundreds maybe uh but yeah so he's the one who got uh who got me into them as a kid right on so uh john mayer's got something cooking john mayer uh he's hosting a weekly or he met he's in talks so this may not happen prior Probably will. He's in talks to host a weekly musical variety and chat series for Paramount Plus. They're going to call it Later with John Mayer, and it's actually borrowing the format from the BBC show Later with Jules Holland. I'm not sure if you're familiar. The idea is kind of a casual hangout conversation with a, another creative, an artist probably mostly musicians mm-hmm. and then they would also perform and what CBS is thinking is they could then take these musical performances and like play them on CBS or use them for the Grammys or now they'd own all of these performance clips from this show that would be hosted by John Mayer. Any truth to the uh, to the rumor that he would end every show with a uh, graphic story about one of his many sexual exploits? Uh, yeah, it's, it's going, the co-host of the show will be his white supremacist penis. Which I thought was a bold move. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Yes. Now, here's the thing. If you're listening to this, if you're one of those people that occasionally accuses things of being a result of cancel culture, you can't say the wrong thing or you'll get canceled. John Mayer is about to get his own show. And this is a man who said that his own genitals are racists. Wow. He said that. Nobody was like, John, is your dick a white supremacist? And he was like, look, I have to admit, I don't want to lie to you. Those are its views. He was just like, listen, I want to tell you something fun about myself. Uh, yeah. I cannot get an erection for people who aren't white. Ooh, uh, can you? Okay, he said those words. Um, my ding dong. No, he didn't say those words. I'm making it nicer. He said my penis is a white supremacist. Uh, my ding dong is uh, a member of the Rainbow Coalition. That's lovely. That's very nice. It does not discriminate. Any yes. any hole will do. That's your <laughs> that's your genitals motto. Uh, yes, indeed. Even like buildings, you're one of those people. Like oh, that's a pretty um, sexy bridge. Oh, the tailpipe of a car. <laughs> So, you've been watching Southland Tales. That's for next yes, week. Yes, uh, like, you know those little, you're walking on a trail and you see a little hole that a snake lives in? Wait, what? No. I I'm in it. I, I, I guess I do. It. I guess I do know that. But wow, what an obscure reference. Like, I guess that that is a thing I've probably seen before. A little hole by the side of a nature trail where a snake might burrow. Listen, I'm revealing too much. I'm revealing too much. Snake burrows. There you go. I never thought that would come up. On All I'm podcast. saying is a, um, I'm writing a song about snake burrows called Your Snake Burrow is a Wonderland. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. I saw John Mayer at the at the Made in America tour. Remember Jay-Z put those huge concerts together? And there was one in downtown LA when I was living there. So I went and the, the two headliners back to back, end of the night, John Mayer into Kanye West. What a what a bizarre clash. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. everybody's there. Not a lot of John Mayer fans just kind of there waiting for John Mayer to do his thing so that Kanye will come up. This was before. I should also add, this was like right as Yeezus was about to come out. Mm-hmm. But this was before Kanye was like awful, but he wasn't as awful as he would soon become. This was pre no MAGA hat stuff. This right, was just right. like he was just weird and kooky. Yes, but still, I'm Kanye West is a genius. Listen, I love a lot of Kanye songs. Going to see him live, super fun. I had a great time. He did talk for about 30 minutes about TMZ and like a rambling thing. And it was just like, please play another song, Kanye. But I'm glad I saw it. But John Mayer was doing like a Kanye thing. Like he would play a song and then he would just talk and like banter. And it's like, dude, read read the room. Like these people don't know who you are. They're all waiting to see Kanye West. Stop, like, just play your body as a wonderland and, like, move this thing along. Like, you know. TikTok, buddy. Yeah, it just did not seem to me to have a lot of grasp of, like, is the crowd digging what I'm putting out there? Right. Judging by what uh, I've uh, gleaned of his ego, that makes sense. They did not perform, but right at the end as Kanye was wrapping up, because mm-hmm. this was in Grand Park in downtown LA, so there was like this, you could see this like long walkway that you would go like above and over and around the crowd to get backstage. Yep. And they thought they were being sly because they waited until like he was on and performing. But Jay-Z and Beyonce tried to like go backstage, but everybody could see them from down below. I've oh. never heard a crowd suddenly realize that they were in the presence of Beyonce. It's like a sound that is its own sound. Oh, yeah. The royal family does not sneak somewhere. If you've never heard thousands of people at once notice Beyonce, it's really something It's really something to experience. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. There you go. Uh, let's move on. Netflix posted a trailer for Sweet Tooth. I sent it to you. You watched it. Yes. This is an adaptation of a DC Vertigo comic book. You know, Vertigo comics, but it's owned by DC. So it's a DC slash Vertigo. Right. Kind of more their their indie their indie shingle. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, Jeff Lemire is the guy who came up with the story originally. It is set in a world. I've not read the comics. So I'm going to do my best here. It's set in a world where there is a viral outbreak, a pandemic killing people. Not relatable at all. Right. And this coincides with the birth and sudden appearance of a lot of human-animal hybrids. So, like, the main character who goes by Sweet Tooth is a deer boy. He's, like, a boy, but he's got deer features and antlers. You you saw the trailer. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, it's not certain from any of the descriptions I've read whether these two things are necessarily directly related, but... Everybody thinks they are. So there's this whole culture of hunting down and trying to kill the hybrids and they have to go into hiding. And that's kind of where the show picks up. Gotcha. It's like X-Men meets Dr. Moreau meets Contagion. Yeah. My first thought was it is a little bit like X-Men with manimals, but who knows? We'll, Dude, we'll, give, it a, we'll give it a shot. We, we, we've talked about this before. Everything is X-Men. The Nevers is X-Men. Well, the, the Nevers mis- is not just everything is X-Men. The Nevers was explicitly like, what if I did X-Men? But like, I don't know, fucking 100 years ago, people will figure that out. I'm just weak. The Nevers is X-Men. Uh, Sweet Tooth is X-Men. Um, what Miss Peg- Pettigreen's uh, school. Yeah, but you're picking. 
two or three things that are like direct ripoffs of X Men. Logan, Logan is X Men. Logan is X Men. Well, Logan is Logan is explicitly X Men. <laughs> He's an X Man. Yes. He, I remember his Seinfeld for there. He's an X Man. One of the X Men. Can't have Logan without an X Man. He's an X Man. He's an actual X Man. <laughs> um. Was did my eyes deceive me? Was Will Forte yes. in this? I believe he's the dad. For some reason, it looks like the boy. Because a lot of the story is going to concern this dear boy, Sweet Tooth. He hooks up with like a warrior who helps keep him safe. It's the actor who played the wealthy uh, citizen of Karth in Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, he's the guy. Like uh, you know, like he was promising all this wealth to Khaleesi, and he planned to betray her. Yes, a gentleman of large stature. Yes, then he, she locked him in his own vault uh, mm-hmm. in Karth. Uh, oh, very cool. Glad that guy's working. Good good for you. So I think Will Forte's probably the kid's dad, and they get separated, and that's why the kid has to take off with this other protector. Will Forte has a soothing voice, and I really enjoyed that moment in the trailer, and I'm looking forward to seeing him do something non-comedy. It's funny because his natural voice is quite soothing, but yeah. I always think of him as playing characters who have like a very like neurotic, quavering voice, like like Tim and Eric or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, no, he can absolutely go there. <laughs> uh, so Sweet Tooth, looking, looking forward to that. I sent you another trailer as well to watch. That would be for Pixar's Luca. And again, I was very disappointed that Pixar's Luca was not the animated tale of Dallas Mavericks point guard Luka Doncic where number 77 comes uh, over from uh, Eastern Europe to dominate the NBA. Here, I thought it was going to be about a lady who lives on the second floor. Oh, that's a nice Suzanne Vega reference. I got that. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> 80 songs. But you, you watched it. So they're teens. They're mermen. Mermen. They, they decide they want to spend a magical summer pretending to be human boys on land, mm-hmm. getting into some scrapes. It looks, call me by your name, plus shape of water. It looks like it's the natural collision of those two. Okay, hard disagree. Wow. Because Call Me By Your Name and Shape of Water are both explicitly sexual. This is a Pixar movie. It's, listen. No. Listen. We already talked about the the X-Men connection for that. I'm going to go even further. I think this is purposefully going to be a gay metaphor. A young boy discovering his his sexuality, but his secret is not going to be that he's gay explicitly in the movie. It's that he's a merman. But that is what it looks like. It's like he's on this journey of self-discovery, but he's got this terrible secret that he feels like he can't tell everybody because they'll judge him and it's it's wrong and he's bad. And like, I, I think it's it's pretty on the nose. Oh, okay. So you think it's a a coming out story, a story of acceptance, a story of accepting oneself? Metaphorical. I'm not saying there's going to be anything explicitly sexual or even romantic in the movie, but I think that's probably the metaphor. No, I like that because accepting one's body and self, whether, whether it's your sexuality or whether it's just like, oh, being able to smile when I look at myself in the mirror and date it. Self-acceptance is a good message. Yes, I'm sure it could apply to things other than being a member of the LGBTQ community. I'm just saying like that does seem like it's kind of the metaphor they're going for in the same way that those early X-Men movies were like kind of purposefully like being a mutant is sort of like being gay and like telling your parents that you're a mutant is Mm -hmm. sort of like coming out and like all all that stuff. Also, but I I would uh, like in those early movies to the uh, civil rights 
rights movement as well. Yeah, but I mean, that's not a secret. No, it's no secret. That's like, hey, look, I'm, I'm a different race from you. You could tell. Okay, here's one other thing, though. Oh, wow. This sounds serious. I, as a not bright person, I assume okay. that all Disney things are in the same universe. But this throws... Because the Little Mermaid, she couldn't just get out of the water and walk like these dipshits are doing in Luca. Well, I'm not sure why you would assume that. That's never been. Because they all coexist at the park together. That's true. They all coexist. So I can, like, I can can talk to Donald Duck, and then I can walk 100 meters and talk to Buzz Lightyear. So that tells me, oh, they exist in the same universe, and then I can go talk to a fucking stormtrooper. That's the same universe. This must be what it's like if you work at like guest relations at Disneyland. It's just people like this all day. You have to be like, I will die on this hill. I'm very sorry that this interrupted your magical fantasy day, sir. I am ready to go full Karen on this issue. I'm sorry that one lady had a hand tattoo in it. Ruined the immersion for you, grown adult. You know what? Now I see eye to eye with the guy who wrote the editorial for the Orlando Sentinel. (laughs) You get that guy now. You understand that guy. Yeah. Now you see. Yes. He was right after all. We didn't even get to the story yet. So here's the thing about Luca. Wait, there's more? It's going to be the second Pixar movie in a row, Soul did it first, that's going to go directly to Disney+. Plus. Now, that's not the $30 extra you got to pay like they did for Ryan, The Last Dragon, Mm -hmm. and the live-action Mulan. That's just straight up, no theaters. Here it is, for free. Everybody gets it at once. It now lives on Disney+. Plus. And the big difference is... Last year when Soul came out, the Oscars were saying, you can debut on streaming and we'll still accept you. It's fine. Right. Pandemic. Listen, but they're not doing that rule change for this year. So by debuting directly on Disney+, Plus, Luke is basically taking itself out of the Oscar race. Ooh. So it can't be, it can't win uh, Best Animated? No, because it'll debut, it'll be a direct-to-streaming release, not a theatrical release, and it's not eligible for the 2021 Oscars. So a lot of Pixar animators and staffers are kind of upset. They feel like Disney is kind of trashing their stuff and promoting all of its other stuff. Uh, And a few of them spoke anonymously to Insider. That's the Business Insider Entertainment side website. Uh, so, you know, and, and I think they've got some interesting concerns. I mean, they're mostly concerned with, well, this is going to be two Pixar movies in a row that didn't really make profit for Disney. So the next time they're looking at what are our most versus our least profitable divisions, is it going to look like Pixar's not carrying its its weight anymore? Interesting. Well, I would I would contend that by winning an Oscar and everything, Soul will turn a profit. And that's what Disney's been saying is that they're over the moon. They're delighted with how well these things have been doing. That Soul exceeded expectations in terms of viewership. It went on to win awards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think they're, you know, it, it won two. It won score as well. Now, yes. it, you have to say two-time Oscar winner Trent Reznor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's now won twice. But, yeah, it, it seems like they're throwing this thing under the bus a little bit. I'd be a little bit peeved if I was, because Pixar... I mean, how many best animated Oscars has Pixar won? Got to be a few. Oh, you're gonna do this to me? It's got to be eight, seven, eight, something like that. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say three. No, it's more than that. Because I'm it hasn't it been around that long. That's true, but I'm still. I'm gonna say three. I feel like you're gonna be wrong. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> Uh, best animated feature. Oh boy, you gonna do this to me? Come Lon, you're do. Oh, I appreciate you. Lon is looking stuff up. Well, Lon's looking stuff up. Yeah. Uh, let's have a, a word from our imaginary sponsor. Uh, Fire. It's been around for millennia, and it's always helpful. 
Whether you're lighting a smoke or roasting some marshmallows, try fire. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, they have won 10 awards in the Best Animated Feature category. Damn. I'm going to list them. Okay. Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3, Brave, Inside Out, Coco, Toy Story 4. So this makes 11 because they just won for Soul as well. And their first feature-led film, Toy Story, also received a special recognition Oscar. So they didn't yet have Best Animated Feature, so it won a special honorary Oscar. So I said three, there you were did. 11. So there are eight other movies that could uh, say to me, hey, Hal, you didn't remember me. Including Coco. Yes. <laughs> you forgot about Coco. I forgot all of them. And Dre. So right, so that's that's a lot. I mean, that's a winning record. And I listen, I think that some of these Pixar animators, like I get their grievance, but I, I don't think Disney is going to next year turn around and say, we don't need Pixar anymore. They're not pulling their weight. Uh, you know, I think obviously Pixar is a huge part of the brand and what makes Disney Disney. Right. And I can't imagine they would want to part with such a successful division. Oh, hell no. I love going to Disneyland and having a conversation with Buzz Lightyear. That's apparently the number one thing that you enjoy doing with Disney is going to Disney Park and having a conversation with the teenagers and college students wearing these uncomfortable costumes. What do they talk about? Like, what is it? What are what are you? Are you getting into the details with them? Like, I asked them about, um, you know, the, uh, Andy from the movie and Andy's parents. So you, like, this is a completely like, it, you're just, you are talking to them as their character. Yes. No, I'm not interested in the, the person inside the costume. I'm interested in the costume. And then, you know, I just give them hugs. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll take a photo. It's very wholesome. You're going to the park alone and doing this? Most of the time. Yeah, no, this seems this seems good. This seems like a good use of your time. Great. Uh, last thing, last thing in the news, yep. then we'll move on. Netflix, they've introduced a play something button. They, the idea is cutting down on scrolling, looking for a thing to watch. You will just hit this. It will pull up a show or a film that you have never watched. Mm -hmm. And it's based on your viewing preferences and likes. So it's the algorithm is just going to pick something for you and put it up in front of your face if you can't decide what to watch. I'm a little dubious of this. I feel like, you know, the, the ad for this would be like, if you're indecisive and non-discerning, you know? I'm not really like this, but only because of my job. I do the streaming newsletter. So I've got a list of like, here's the next thing I should check out. Yeah, your finger's on the pulse. I'm always looking at what's coming out and I review things. And so I keep a list of like, here's the next thing I got to review. So I'm never just like, uh, like I don't, I always have a list like, well, if I don't know what to watch, I'll just watch this next thing on the list. But a lot of people complain about this, that, you know, they end up not watching anything because they just end up staring at Hulu or Netflix or HBO and can't decide on what they want to pull the, pull the gun on next. So I feel like there may be a lot of people that this takes a lot of the pain out of it. Probably. You know what? It's it's probably going to be a useful part of the decision process. Let's just let the machines decide. Let's let, let the cars drive. And then <laughs> cut to Skynet has created these robots that are taking over. This is the first step. 
I and will yeah, die on this hill. Learning what reality shows we might prefer is the first step in Skynet's takeover. That's how. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That's where they get you. Oh, boy. I don't know. Listen, I, I'm, I'm curious. It's, it's rolling out this week. So you may not see it today on your Netflix. It'll show up in the next few days. So we haven't gotten to test it out yet. They already have uh, the thing that's like, because you liked such and such or because you watched such and such. So it's just like the next level of that. They've been watching you and everything you watch for many years. So they have a lot of data already. This is just another opportunity for them to use all the data they've collected on you to try to guess at. That's probably what it'll be. I mean, for the most part, it'll just look at what it was going to recommend to you and just pick one of those. Gotcha. Or, you know, in your case, just cuties. <laughs> you know what? Just beam it right in. I got this guy's number. Just beam it or just beam Beam it right into my TV, straight to my eyeballs. So, Hal, that's it for the news. But I, I know that you had a, there, you had a special guest that was going to stop by. Yeah, so f first, let me ask you, uh, before we bring him in, what, what did you think of the Oscars this past weekend, Lon? I thought the winners like were were pretty good. Like I, I agreed with, mo obviously, the, the Hopkins-Bozeman thing we could talk about a little yeah. bit. But, um, yeah, I agreed with a lot of the picks. I, I was really happy to see uh, Chloe Zhao win, Nomadland get recognized. Mm -hmm. it, it seemed to kind of fall apart. I feel like at the very beginning, I kind of dug what they were doing and the more like intimate approach. After a while, it just kind of started to seem like the informality was just making things weird and awkward rather than fun and cozy like they maybe had planned. And like it just started to feel like a, one of those really long weddings where everybody's like craning their neck to like see the guy behind them. And especially like when all the presenters are like giving these really intimate, weird toast type speeches to every nominee. I didn't care for those. It just kind of started to lose focus. And then the last half hour, 40 minutes, it feels like everything just collapsed. Like the in memoriam speeding through everybody was very odd yes. and like kind of inappropriate. Yeah, editing it to the music, editing the in memoriam to the music was not due justice to them that it was edited to exactly to the music. And it was like, bing, bang, boom, boom. Very fast, uh, which was where they left out Jessica Walter, which is, is oh, a lame bummer. thing to do. Uh, and they left out Adam Schlesinger, who I'm sure they thought, well, he'll get recognized at the Emmys because he wrote all the crazy ex-girlfriend songs. But the guy wrote That Thing You Do. Yeah. If you write That Thing You Do, you get in the in memoriam. That's I think legit. that's just like that a rule. That is legit. And yeah, I found it to be a little humorless uh, because like, I don't need to hear like, oh, growing up, he was a fan of Stanley Kubrick. Growing up, he liked E.T. Growing up, he was into Star... Who gives a fuck? I get it. I get that they were film fans growing up. I want the banter. I want the fun. Like, I, I think one part where you really miss having a host yes. is the very end. Like at the very end, they clearly thought... Chadwick Boseman would get it and it would be this big special moment that didn't happen and there was apparently a screw up where they didn't let Anthony Hopkins zoom in Yep. so there was nobody Joaquin Phoenix is not up to this moment so it just kind of gets thrown to Questlove who I felt really yeah Phoenix didn't want to be there no Phoenix looked like he could care less and then they throw it to poor Questlove I feel like Questlove they were like hey we'll let you promote your new movie but in exchange we're just gonna dump to you anytime we don't know what to do and you're just gonna have to figure it out Yep. So it just felt like that's the moment where if you had a Billy Crystal or even like a Jimmy Kimmel, somebody who could like take the mic, offset this awkward moment with something funny, 
send us out. You know, like that's where you really miss having a comedian just there in case, you know? Yep. I mean, I enjoyed moments of uh, Lil Rel Howery. I would have, I, I could have gone for him as the, anyone, anyone as a host. I said this on, on Screen Junkies this week. I actually think yeah. he made a pretty good case for himself as next year's host. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was the best part of the show. Not, not the bit necessarily, but just the moment like Lil Rel came on and you felt like, oh, okay, there's somebody who's going to take us through this next part. We're not just like drifting around this weird train station set. Exactly. It's like, oh, okay, that's what the show kind of needs. Well, Lon, you know, uh, I've got quite an affinity for Mank. You're in the tank for Mank. I'm in the tank for Mank. You know, listen, if, if they made a porno of Mank, I would wank. Uh, you know, and Mank won two Oscars. Yeah. Uh, what, cinematography? Cinematography and, and production design. Production design. And look, I was not a Mank fan. Right. I thought Mank kind of stank, not dank, but it's hard to knock. It's hard to knock it on the, on that level. I think on that, on that level, I think it's hard to knock. It, the, the sets were beautiful. It evoked Hollywood of that era very successfully. And the cinematography, it does not really look like a 30s movie, but it looks like a lavishly mounted modern take on what a 30s movie would have looked like. And I appreciated it on that level. So I can't, I can't deny that. First off, uh, I would describe my last sexual experience as lavishly mounted. Secondly... Lon, we got a good get today in the business. Sometimes when you get a guest that's a score, you call it a good get. Yeah, good get. We have the titular character of Mank, Herman J. Mankowitz, a.k.a. Mank. Please, Mank, come in and talk. Wow, you got Mank to come by? Lon, I'm going to step away. And you leave so I can talk to Mank. I'm going to go number two because it, there's a, uh, there's a uh, you know, uh, uh, turtle sniffing cotton over here. But Mank, come on in and... Uh, Ah, good to be here. Good to be here. Lon Harris. Hal Rudnick. All right. Thank you, Hal. Lon, uh, damn glad to be here. You know, I am the scribe uh, that Hollywood forgot. They cast me aside, but I came back. Wizard of Oz. Oh, Citizen Kane. Oh, man, I had to take I had to take Austin Wells, young Austin Wells, to task to get my credit on Citizen Kane. He wanted to take full credit. And I said, no, no, that's a Herman J. Mankiewicz picture. And he said, all right, Mank, you can have it. You can have it. Oh, I, Lon, I was not afraid to spit in the eye of Hollywood, the big wigs. Oh, I spoke truth to power. You can get that. You got that right. Now, let me ask you, Mank, my first question for you. What What did you think of the David Fincher film about your life? Did he, did he get the details right. Oh, he got it all right. I was drunk as a skunk and writing up a storm. I had to hide my booze. It was a booze cruise. I'd, I'd never lose when I'm on booze, but when I wasn't drunk, I wrote like a skunk. That was it. And, and, uh, and what did you think? A lot of people who watched the movie commented that Gary Oldman, great actor, much older than you were at the period depicted in the movie. You were in your 30s. Gary Oldman in his 60s, did that bother you at all? It's okay, because I drank so much I died young. It prematurely aged me. I wish I could take a little human growth hormone. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, do, you, what do you mean you died young in the past tense? You're here speaking with me right now. Oh, I'm back from the grave. I'm back from the grave. Open your eyes. Look up a Wikipedia page. I'm dead, my friend. I'm dead as a doornail. Well, you're you're undead, I'm assuming. You're some sort of zombie? Are you a vampire? How did you come back from the dead? Well, I'll tell 
I'll, I'll tell you how I got I came back from the dead. You see, David Fincher and Gary Oldman, they while they, while they were on the set one night, they took some of my artifact and some of my writing and they made a little pentagram on the ground, Lon, and they drew oh. a circle around it. And then, then they and then they threw they threw my Oscar in there and then they lit a fire and then I appeared. I appeared in the so pentagram. You were you were ra- you were in hell. You were raised from hell. Of course I was in hell. Have you heard the stories about how I treated my wife when I was alive? <laughs> oh, I was a terrible man, a terrible man, a terrible drunk, a real curmudgeon, but with a heart of gold, with a heart of gold. Oh, I went from purgatory to hell, but I was, I think my case is going to so be... So God doesn't, you're saying God doesn't take that into account, that you had a heart of gold, you still couldn't get into heaven? Ah, uh, God runs a tougher ship than uh, David Oselznik, Lon. Oh, wow. That's, oh, yeah. That's than Daryl F. Zanuck, Lon. You've really been through it. Yes, I have, but I enjoyed that picture because it was very accurate about me speaking truth to power. I went right to Hearst Castle, the home of the William Randolph Hearst, the, the captain of industry and the, uh, the real business tycoon. Publishing magnate. Yes, indeed. You wrote a film about him. You'd be familiar, sure. He had his fingers in a lot of pies, including Marion Davies, if you know mm, what I mean. Wow, anyway, yeah. I showed up at that party, three sheets to the wind, and I turned that place upside down, and I spoke truth to power. And I'm back today to do it some more. I'm going to go to the current Hollywood bigwigs and speak truth to them. You know what I'm planning to do, Lon? Do tell, Mank. I'm going to go to the home of CBS's Les Moonves, and I'm going to take a piss right on his veranda. I'm going to take out my little dick and take a piss right on Les Moonves's veranda. That yeah. son of a bitch, that's what Mank does. I'm giving it to a Mank style. Then I'm going to leave Les Moonves's house, and I'm going to drive over to Kevin Feige's house. Oh, no. Not that Feige. Yes, the Marvel Studios impresario. And I'm going to take a big number two on his front doorstep. Wait, Les Moonves is a monster and he only gets number one, but then you're going to take a bowel movement on Kevin Feige's house? This is terrible, Mac. I, I don't like this plan at all. Nobody's safe from the Manx stank. What's your problem with Kevin Feige? I want him to put me in the Marvel Universe, and he said no. Oh, I wow. think Mank can join forces. I want Mank to take on uh, uh, Thanos or... <laughs> yeah, the Manx Cinematic Universe. Yes. The, the the MCU, the Manx Cinematic Universe. The Manx Cinematic Universe, yeah. Exactly. Then I'm going to go over to Michael Eisner's house. Uh, I don't even know what, if he's around. Yeah, it just produces things now. Well, it's too bad because he's going to get a little bit of Manx diarrhea in his oh, mailbox. That, that, I am going that, to do diarrhea in his mailbox because I speak to the pa- wonderful world of Disney's a national icon. I spit in the eye. I spit in the eye. Then I'm going to go over to John Lasseter's house. You know John Lasseter? No, this I have no problem with. Oh, the uh, disgraced Pixar yeah, impresario? Dis- yeah. yeah, that's fine. Do whatever you want at John Lasseter. I'm going to I'm gonna masturbate right onto his window. I'm going to release right onto his big <laughs> bay window. Okay, don't. He might enjoy that. I wouldn't recommend that. Well, he's got a little mank stank coming his way as well. Oh, boy. This is taking a real turn. Although I have to say, I think undead mank getting his vengeance on 2021 Hollywood. If Fincher's looking for a follow-up, I don't know if he's got another project in the works, but I feel like this is a decent setup for... For Mank too. I'll spit in the eye of the high and mighty and I'll speak truth to power. That's what I did and that's what I'll do. I, they blacklisted me because I was a commie, socialist, Marxist, and a Jew. Mm. But now I'm back, baby, and I'm ready to take revenge. Lon Harris, 
Great talking with you. Thanks, Mank. Now, if you'll excuse me, I gotta get in my ghost car and continue my reign of terror on everyone who's holding the keys to power in Hollywood. Mm. Oh, and also, I got a little rendezvous with that tomato, Barbara Hershey. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Mag. Mag's cosmologically confused because uh, I think we pretty clearly heard that he was a demon or he was some sort of soul raised from hell, but then he has a ghost car. I'm back. Yeah, there, there's some cross wires there in terms of oh. what kind of afterlife Mank has been experiencing. But I think we did get an interesting pitch for Mank 2 high voltage, so. Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Mankowitz. Call me Mank. Uh, thank you, Mank. It was nice of you to let him smoke a cigar in your home. I'm sure that smell is going to linger, probably. <coughs> yeah, jeepers creepers. You, yeah, you know how Mrs. Mank felt now. Oh, that smell is heavy and dank. Oh, boy. But a very good get indeed. Thank you. Press it. Uh, but filthy. Well, what a filthy reign of terror. What a terrible man. Why yeah. would anyone make a film about him? I know. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder. A what? disgusting alcoholic who... It took us like 120 years to get a film about Harriet Tubman. But they were like, this uh, drunk guy who wrote half of a screenplay once, let's do it. Get the cameras. Not even the first. Ben Mankiewicz has been featured in several other films. RKO, yes. whatever, whatever. 127? Yeah, some. I don't remember. Alon, we, we watched some stuff. We're going to talk about it coming up. We did. Let's uh, let's fight Mortal Kombat. Bitching the fuck out of shit. Alon, Mortal Kombat hit HBO Max. And uh, yeah, what'd you expect? <laughs> it was... Uh, you know, it was a, it was fine. The, the the fight, like you got the all the catchphrases, you got the fights. I think it's funny that you leading with what you expect. I think the one thing everybody would expect from a Mortal Kombat film would be a Mortal Kombat tournament, which we do not get, which we do not does not True. happen in the film. But we got the fights. We got all the fights. Listen, hear me out on this. I pretended it was a tournament. Uh, I'm not saying this is, like, the worst thing. And I'm not saying you gotta judge a Mortal Kombat movie on, like, normal movie rules. Right. I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying. But I think I got, I got two problems here. Lay it on me, buddy. One is... I dislike the fact that this is such blatant sequel bait. It feels like a ripoff almost to me. This is not just like a, hey, we're going to do a movie that obviously leads into a world of future movies. This is a, we're explicitly going to do a bunch of shit that doesn't matter and tread water and get you guys thirsty for more. And then two and three is where the real Mortal Kombat is going to happen. Like mm. this movie literally fucking ends with the bad guy dissolving all of his dead fighters and being like, I'll just resurrect these guys and come back and we'll do this again. It's like, well, then what was the fucking point of the thing I just watched? Shang Tsung, you piece of shit, you motherfucker. <laughs> you made me sit here for 90 minutes and then it's just like, ah, next time, Gadget. Like, fuck you. Um... I don't like that. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't like feeling like I'm watching the pilot for the Mortal Kombat series. I want to mm -hmm. watch a movie. It's got to feel like it's it's got a rise and a fall. I don't think that's that much to ask that the Mortal Kombat movie feel like I watched a Mortal Kombat movie. And if there's more, great. And if there's not, well, I got a Mortal Kombat movie. That's what it should feel like. Yeah. You know, you make a great point. Oh, you, you another one, please. Well, no, if you've, if you've got commentary on... Oh, yeah. I just, I just wanted to say, yeah, you know what? The framework of these battles and 
these classic lines that we watch this for, get over here, I am Sub-Zero, et cetera. They like, do the, the flawless victory and flawless test your victory. might. You get to hear all the stuff. That was like, really dug all that. I, uh, there were some super cool moments when the uh, father, the patriarch. Hanzo. Hanzo. Uh, Hanzo has a great, I don't want to spoil it, but he's got a great moment uh, later in the film. And for that, I enjoyed it. But I see what you're saying. It, uh, it, it, was, it was a little bit of a tease structure. Yeah, and then, sure. like a full movie shouldn't feel like a tease. It should feel like a movie. My other thing was it felt like tonally there were like two movies here. Hmm. One is let's play this really straight and serious. And it's like we're going to go back and see the ninjas rivalry and we're going to follow it. And it's going to be like dark and violent. And we're going to like, you know, like play up the, the as as realistic a world as we can and then we're going to layer in Mortal Kombat. Mm -hmm. And then there is the fucking goofiest, most cartoon shit in the universe. Like Kano and Cabal and like there's so much just blatant silliness and I like I'm into the silliness. Like if you want to make a goofy, crazy, over the top, zany Mortal Kombat movie like there are parts of this movie where it feels like it's trying to do like what Punisher Warzone was doing and like, mm-hmm. yes, yes, more of that, please. Like, I love that stuff. It was when it would turn somber and like Lewis Tan and I love my wife and like, I don't care. Like, I just want to get back to the silliness. Yes, but I think you needed that stuff to motivate. Like, that was like the heart of the movie. It doesn't need a heart. Rip the fucking heart out like Kano with a reptile. Like, I don't give a shit. I definitely dug what, like, what Kano was doing and, the, like, the one-liners and the, and the snark and the disrespect that he was coming with. Yeah, I just, you could make the whole movie silly. We don't we don't need to care, I don't think. And, like, this didn't work anyway. Like, I, I didn't care anyway. But I think you needed a springboard to get into the, the like, the rivalry and and the opposing forces. I mean, the the best case scenario for something like this would be like Bloodsport. Now, when I say Bloodsport, do you remember the emotions? I remember that dude's giant pecs. Exactly. You remember the guy flexing his pecs, and you remember Jean-Claude's friend getting killed and going, no! Like, you remember the fights and the action and the training montage. And like, it can just be fun. It doesn't have to be... Like, oh, but my family. Like, it doesn't, you, you don't, you, they're putting that in there, but they don't have to. And that stuff, and I'm saying if you want to do that thing, I think you have to tone down the goofiness of the other stuff because it just, it doesn't, they're just like in different movies. I feel ya, I feel ya. But um, I don't expect it to be uh, like totally coherent or seamless <laughs> or anything. No, well, I certainly didn't expect it to be seamless. Oh, you're, you're saying tonally it's only two movies? That's a win. <laughs> like, <laughs> look, for, I, for a freaking Mortal Kombat Well, movie. here's what I'll say. If we're speaking relatively, like, like, look, the, the fact that there was stuff in this that I liked, like, the yes. fact that I, I'm identifying elements that I thought were fun and good is good. Like, yeah. Mortal Kombat Annihilation, we would not be having the same conversation about. Yeah, there, it's ups and downs, but there's enough stuff in here that if you're a fan of Mortal Kombat, you would obviously want to watch this. Right. For sure. The good moments, uh, you know, like it's edited really choppy. So not all of the fight scenes work as well as they could. And the digital blood looks like Robitussin, (laughs) Uh, not blood. They've been selling it as so violent and gory. Yes. But it doesn't really feel violent because it's so obviously like strawberry jam. Fakey. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, pluses and minuses. I didn't love this, but it's it's not horrible. If, if you're a Mortal Kombat aficionado, I feel like this scratches the itch. Although I would say there is an animated film called Mortal Kombat Legends or Legacy Scorpion's okay. Revenge. That is a very similar story, but I think uh, more fun. Gotcha. And uh, Joel McHale voices Johnny Cage. Oh, cool. Well, maybe that's worth checking out. Definitely that's worth checking out. You might check this out too. Why not? It's free. You know what? I absolutely agree with you, Lon. It scratches the itch. Uh, I, I look at it a little bit like Godzilla versus Kong or, or something. Oh, Godzilla versus Kong is better. Way better. Way better. But essentially, uh, get me to each battle without uh, completely like uh, boring me or, or effing up everything. Sure. And the, the battles will um, will buoy this thing and keep it afloat. And and they'll do a Mortal Kombat 2 to follow up on this, and I'll friggin' watch it, folks. Yes. That's the yeah. real test. There it is. There it is. And it did well at the box office. Uh, it in, did pretty in, well at the box office. A lot of people liked it. It's been a hit for them on HBO Max so far, yeah. according to the numbers that we've, we've seen. You know, uh, so yeah, it, it looks very likely that we'll get Mortal Kombat 2 at some point. Mortal Kombat, there it is on HBO Max. To Combat to Mortal. Coming up, we're going to talk about Stowaway on Netflix. Lon, we both stowed away and watched this movie. I should add a disclaimer here. I know the guy who, not, not well, we're not best friends, but I know Joe Penna and Ryan Morrison, the two writers, and then Joe Penna is the director of this film. Joe Penna is the YouTuber known as Mystery Guitar Man. Oh. I've known him since the old school YouTube days. He used to come on What's Trending, a show that you and I both worked on various points. Yep. So I've known him for forever. Good guy. He used to be an amazing YouTuber. Like, you could still go back and watch those old Mystery Guitar Man videos, and they're terrific. He's transitioned into directing features. He made a really good movie a few years ago with Mads Mikkelsen called Arctic. Okay. This is also a survival thriller. They're, they're in the same genre. That one was Mikkelsen's in a small plane that crash lands in the Arctic. He's stranded and he's got to decide, do I stay with the wreckage and try to stay alive? Or do I embark on a journey to try to get back to civilization on my own? Mm -hmm. Very unnerving, very like an adventure movie in that classic sense. That one's terrific. This is the follow-up to that one. Yeah, so I'd say this is a slow burn. I would call it uh, Gravity with Four People. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a little too slow a burn for me. I don't regret watching it, but like I spent three quarters of the movie waiting for a turn, waiting for one of the characters to like pull their skin off and be like, yes, what? Daddy's home. Or like, <laughs> or one, or one of the characters to reveal they had a sinister plan from like right. a, a rival yeah. government or something. And it never came. It was earnest. It was straightforward. Uh, and you know, I didn't, I, I didn't not enjoy it. Wow. You don't have but, to mince your words just because I know the guy. No. Uh, He's not going to listen to this. It was okay. I, I thought it was, you know, earnest and straightforward, and it was emotional. And I, I thought Anna Kendrick was particularly good in this. She's, they're all very good. There's only four yeah. people in the entire mm -hmm. film, uh, so it, it, you know, it sort of asks a lot of all of them. Daniel Day Kim, I mean, that guy's got jawline for days. He's got a very impressive jawline. Yes. The setup is yes. Shamir Anderson plays a sort of a ground crew tech engineer guy 
while getting the shuttle ready for this mission to Mars, this two-year space mission, he's in an accident, he falls and hits his head, he gets knocked out, and nobody knows that he's there. So the shuttle launches, it's on its way to Mars, he wakes up, he's stowed away accidentally, and then the conflict of the rest of the movie is they've only planned on there being three people on this shuttle, and now they've got a fourth, and is there oxygen enough, and are there resources enough? Uh, so it's should be he's the he's the stowaway, and then it's Daniel Day Kim, Tony Collette, and mm-hmm. uh, Anna Kendrick are the three astronauts who were sort of meant to be on the mission. I mean, wouldn't it have been cool if Tony Collette ripped her face off and said, "Mommy's home." Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say no. I, I mean, I, I think the one thing to <laughs> caution people right. on right. is this is a sci-fi drama, not a thriller and not an action film. Like most films that are blasting a crew into space and then something goes wrong, you, you could sort of rely on a lot of the familiar sci-fi tropes. This does not ever go there. This is a drama about, well, what would three otherwise good people who don't want to hurt anyone do if this fourth person, through no fault of their own, was putting everybody's life at risk? And it's sort of one of those movies that I think you can't help but like kind of put yourself in that scenario of like, what do I think I would do and how would you deal with this? And who's right when a bunch of different people are making good arguments for their own position? And so it, it is that kind of a movie. It almost mm-hmm. it's not based on a play, but in some ways it almost feels like it could have been like you could have almost. I mean, space is a, little, a space station is claustrophobic, so it, it, it does feel right. A claustrophobic. And, and, and there is there is one sequence that does take them outside of the sort of inside module of the craft. It sort of reminds me a little bit of Ad Astra. There's a scene that kind of builds in a similar way of like the idea of like sort of climbing through a weightless or a space-like environment that I think is really cool. One thing I would add is um, this concept for the ship is really weird and interesting. It's basically like they're in the center. The astronauts are in the center. And then the spent rocket engine goes to like one end. And then this like solar panel array goes to the other. They spin and it simulates gravity for the crew in the middle. And that's how they have fake gravity. Uh, that's based on a real design. That's a real NASA design. And it's considered one of the most likely systems we'd use to actually go to Mars. Because it feels very far out when you're watching it in the movie. Jeez, uh, am I uh, talking to Lon Harris or Dr. Clifford V. Johnson? Very good fun facts. Very good fun facts. Yeah, well, I thought, I, it was because it, it plays so weird in the movie that, like, it's this. I thought it was this crazy invention these guys came up with on how you would do simulated gravity in space, and you know, and it gives you once you've established this long tethered spaceship, it gives you the environment for moving around it. But I see. I didn't even think twice about it. I just I'm like, oh, that must be a thing. I just bought it. I just bought it. It turns out that it is totally a thing, and that they very think that rad, that, very rad. But it does seem like it would also make you extremely sick. Like anytime you look out the window, we always, you know, in, in like Star Trek or whatever, they look out the window and it's just space. You know, like it's just yeah. like looking out a window on Earth, except outside is space. And this, the idea would be, every time you look out the window, you would realize that you're actually turning, and you Oopsies. just to you it feels like gravity, but you're actually just spinning very fast. Totally. So they they do a, a spacewalk at the end of them. They do venture outside, and there's some hemming and hawing about venturing outside. I feel like that decision could have been made a little quicker because that was the way to save. I'm trying not. I'm trying to say this without spoilers, which I'm very bad at. It's not really a spoilery kind of movie because, like we said, there's no big left turn. Yeah. So they have one last resort to try to um, save a life because they don't have enough air to and um, and means to keep everyone alive in space here because we had the stowaway. 
And I feel like the decision they come to, which is their ultimate thing they try at the end, they should have tried that sooner. Like what's, it didn't, it wasn't as harrowing. I don't know. We just, we don't have to fight it out. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think it, this is what the movie's about in some ways is the difficulty of reaching those decisions because there are two valid points of view. It's not as simple as, and and this is what most space movies would do. Yeah. The the bad guy wants to do the selfish thing and the good guy wants to do the heroic thing. We could totally understand both of these perspectives. I have a very controversial opinion right now that I don't think you'll agree with, but I'm going to put go. it out there and this might get me in trouble saying this. I think every space movie should include one sequence where they play the song from David Bowie, Ground Control to Major Tom. Every single one. Wow. Every, 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 it would never every, get old for every, you. every space movie. So when they, in Guardians of the Galaxy, when they played Moon Age Daydream instead, that must have really bothered you. So it's like, oh, you're going to give me a David Bowie song, but not the appropriate one. Space was a big inspiration for him. Life on Mars. Absolutely. The spiders from Mars. But here's No, here's that the was thing. the band. That was, yeah. I, I don't, I, listen, I just, I just say that. Ziggy Stardust did the spiders from Mars as a song. Very good. You bring up a little wrinkle because the fantastical space movies like Star Wars or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. or um, Star Trek, those, I think, th- those can skip it. But uh, true to life or trying to be pseudo-realistic space movies, your gravity, your interstellar, your ad astra, your stowaway, those would all have to. By law. You would be the obnoxious guy on the real space trip where it'd be like, the moment we all got out into space and we were floating, you'd be like, all right, put the song on. Everybody'd be like, we, we don't need to listen to it. You'd be like, put the song on and make everybody float around and listen to Space Oddity. Yep. I'm also embarrassed for you that you don't know that it's called Space Oddity. You had to say the ground control to Major Tom song. Also- Space Oddity. If they wanted, or, <laughs> or, or. <laughs> my new, that's my new character, the guy who's really, really upset when you don't know every David Bowie song. Or Rocket Man. That's, that's, now you're just, now, now Stowaway on Netflix, uh, written and directed by Lon Harris's personal friend, Joe Penna. My good buddy. And uh, you know what? I don't regret watching it. Can I just say this? One time Skybound had a Halloween short film contest at the YouTube space, mm-hmm. and Joe Penna and Ryan Morrison made a short, and Steve Zaragoza and Lon Harris made a short. Guess who ended up winning that contest? Oh, shit. Lon Harris and Steve Zaragoza. Steve and mm, Lon. So, wow. Damn. Taking out professional filmmakers. I'm just putting it out there, folks. Boom. Where's my Netflix deal, baby? Anna Kendrick was very good in this. She's terrific in this. They're they're all good. All four, because it's only four people in the entire movie. Uh, Lon, Michael Schur, the creator of Parks and Rec. Oh, so many. I mean, he he produced and wrote on The Office, Mm -hmm. uh, The Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Parks and Rec. Uh, Yeah, big big time, big deal. He is... Back with a brand new sitcom on Peacock, Rutherford Falls, Rutherford, Rutherford, Rutherford Falls, Falls. Rutherford, Rutherford, Rutherford. yeah, Rothstein Falls. 
Lon, uh, mm. do you want to share some thoughts about Rutherford, Rutherford Falls? I really enjoyed this show. I think it has that Mike Sure stamp, which it is it's, there, it's, it's nice. It's, it's a nice, inviting world full of good, charming people who are kind to each other. And there's a warmth to it. And I feel like it's hard. It's very hard to write comedy that lives exclusively in that place. Like mm-hmm. it's so much easier to write comedy where there's a nice person and then a mean person comes by and is like, you look dumb. Like that's the, we're just so used to that. And like, that's what so much comedy is. Down humor. Right. And then to see a world where somehow they continue to find funny avenues and places to take it, but you don't really hate anybody. And mm-hmm. there's, there's antagonists, but no villains. And I really like, I, I enjoy spending time in those worlds. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big Parks and Rec fan, maybe of all of his shows. Sure. That's probably my favorite. Sure. And this one definitely has a Parks and Rec feel to it. Although yeah, I would say. Feel the DNA. A Parks and Rec that's still maybe a lot of these shows, I think, take a season or two to really find themselves and for everything to kind of fall into place. And I think this does have that feeling as well, where it's like we're kind of still feeling it out. And the one thing I would say critically about it, mm-hmm. I liked a lot about it. I would very much recommend the show. But mm-hmm. uh, if I could say one one critical thing, I feel like more so than the other Mike Schur shows that we've just been talking about that have a very episodic feel, like Parks and Rec where it's like, there are stories, but in the loosest sense. It's really just, what's Leslie Nope and her gang up to this week? This one is more of a driving narrative. Like, it is. there is stuff happening in the town of Rutherford Falls, and it's like on a track, and you could binge all 10 of these episodes, and it's like a little movie in a lot of ways. And I, I don't know if that necessarily plays in its favor. I think it's probably less funny because it's more narrative. Yeah, and it's... It's a little tougher to jump in in the middle, but then again, if you're watching it on a streaming service, you're it's harder for you to just jump in. Yeah, well, no, it's it's designed for Peacock. This is not an NBC show that's on Peacock. This is a Peacock show. Exactly. So yeah, you'll watch it linearly, absolutely by design. And yeah, I don't like it quite as much as Lon. We were talking about like you'd rather move. I'm I'm moving to East Town where it's dark and people get murdered. And you're moving to Rutherford Falls. You want to hang out with Mayor of East Town? Yeah. You want to vape and eat cheesesteaks with Mayor and and exactly. Oh man, that sounds that sounds like Saturday night. Um, But I thought the show was often funny um, and oftentimes just cute and enjoyable. But I do appreciate that it's trying to say some bigger things about uh, colonialism. I mean, there's some really uh, wonderful representation in the show of just telling Native American stories and bringing the plight of original peoples to the forefront. Indigenous, you can say indigenous. Yeah, indigenous peoples. And those issues uh, are at the forefront of the show. And I don't think it's done in a heavy-handed way. It's done in like, oh, I mean, you know, it seems like it's not going to go too far into like some of the the dark history. But it's it's there. And the representation yeah. is really well done. And there's also non-binary character, which is like nice to see in just like a... Uh, in a role on a major show. So for those reasons, it's, uh, I, I feel like it's got a real voice in speaking and in being representative of people and sharing many voices. Yeah, uh, when Sure and Ed Helms co-created this and they they brought in a Brooklyn Nine-Nine writer who is indigenous, uh, I'm, I'm looking up her name, I'm like that. 
<laughs> I just had it. Oh, Sierra Teller Ornelas. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a key decision. There's also, you know, uh, Native writers on the show. There are several Native American characters. And, and it's largely sort of about that. It's about this this town in upstate New York that is right next to a reservation. And uh, there's a lot of fights going on in the town that mostly concern their shared history and whose version of the story gets told. There's a big statue of Ed Helms's ancestor, Big Larry, who yeah. founded, quote unquote, founded the town. And that's a, a sort of divisive issue. There's also a lawsuit concerning the town charter going on. Um, and yeah, I think it does a good job of engaging with that stuff, but not in a preachy or heavy handed way. Still being a sitcom first that's just using this to, to drive it forward. Uh, and there are two really good central characters that are both played by Native Americans, but they get to be more than just the type we've come to associate with indigenous characters on TV. Uh, the, the one that I would really highlight is Jenna Schmiding. I hope I'm saying her name right. Mm-hmm. Uh, She's Regan, who is uh, Nathan Rutherford's best friend. She runs a cultural center for the tribe that's within the casino. And the casino owner, Terry, is played by Michael Grayeyes. These are both really good characters. They're really fun to add to the ensemble. It doesn't just feel like they're there to be Indians. Like, they're there to be part of this town and the fabric that makes up the show. Yeah, a lot of times in media, in in TV shows and movies, it's like you get this one-dimensional Native American person or indigenous person that's kind of like stoic and feels like they were, you know, wronged by society or something and 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 fighting that cause. But these are layered, funny, uh, well-written characters, three-dimensional. I would also say uh, Paul F. Tompkins shows up as a- Oh, he was great. Very funny. Drunk historian, like local historian. And it's a really good character for him. And he- friggin' nails it. I mean, I'm a fan anyway, but this is a really fun guest appearance from him. Yeah, so it's a funny show. Like Lon said, it's finding its footing, but it's also, it's got a voice and it's talking about some interesting things that are kind of in the national dialogue. Yeah, I mean, like, it's the right kind of thing at the right time, for sure. Yeah, there, there has been a little bit of a reckoning happening as far as like some of these things like colonialism and just the the founding of this nation, you know, talking about things like Columbus Day and uh, turning that to Indigenous Peoples Day. So it's it's hearts in the right place. And if you like the good place in shows like that, it does scratch that itch. Right. I feel like this is for the Mike Schur fans for sure, because it's just another one of those worlds where it's less laugh a minute and it's more like I like spending 30 minutes in that world with those people. And I think that if you're into that kind of a show, this fills in that niche kind of nicely. And Ed Helms is a great just bumbling boob who's always going to do the wrong thing. Yeah, I mean, he co-created and it's obviously a character that was designed. But that's here's a great example. There's an episode. I'm not sure if you got to this one. It's maybe four, three or four, where he goes to a Rutherford family reunion. Yes. Because they're they're getting together to celebrate. Aunt Ida's like 90th birthday or something. And any other show, the goofy Ed Helms character who's so sincere and so genuine and loves the family, the joke would be that he shows up and nobody else gives a shit and they're making fun of him and he's the dork and the outcast and can you believe this nerd gives a shit about being a Rutherford? And in this show, they're all, they all feel bad for him, but they love him. Yeah. It's, it's not that they're there to make fun of him. It's not cringy. They're just like, 
look, dude, we care about you and you need to like let some of this go. I really respect that they're always trying to hit that note instead of what would be kind of the easier note to hit, which is the cynical, like, you're a dork, look at this fucking dork note. Yeah, and he gets bullied by his big brother and just... Right, and that's like 99% of the comedies you see, that would be the note, because that's easy, that's obvious, that's the conflict, is he cares about the family, these guys don't. This goes for a more subtle thing than that, like, these guys care about the family, but they really care about themselves and their own lives and making their own way, and he's stuck in the past. No, I think think that's another way to reinforce uh, an early point you said, that it's not a mean-spirited comedy. If you want to have a couple of laughs and spend some time with some some genuinely good-natured folks, take a trip to Rutherford Falls (laughs) on Peacock. And that is our show for today. I want to thank, oh, I just want to thank uh, Owl Nation. Hoot hoot. Hashtag Owl Nation, where my gahooligans at. Uh, I want to thank Starburns for having us. I want to thank our new producer, Travis Reeves. Travis, thank you for coming aboard the USS Binge Boys. I want to thank Jason K for giving us that sweet guitar lick and vocal up top. And I want to thank... My pal, Lon Harris. Lon, tell everybody where they can find you. Find me on Twitter, at L-O-N-S. That's the best spot to keep up with everything I'm doing. And check out the Inside Streaming newsletter. I write about this stuff five days a week. It's free. Inside.com slash streaming is where to go. Uh, Before we go, this is a ship now. You've declared it the USS Binge Boys. Which one of us is the captain? Only one captain on the ship. Lon, you write the streaming newsletter, so I would think you are the captain. Okay. And the streaming newsletter is your captain's log. Mm. I want to. I romanticize the idea of being uh, a first mate, like kind of like Gilligan. You're my skipper. I want to be your Gilligan. Okay, fair enough. I'm the skipper. You're Gilligan. Yeah. All right. I'll hit you with my hat next time I see you. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> and you can find me at Hal Rudnick on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, you can check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.